0: So Money, Episode 771, Mo Bunnell, author of The Snowball System.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: For some people, the idea of selling a product or a service can feel like selling out or maybe selling your soul. But our guest today has a technique for selling with integrity and winning every time. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Varnoosh Tarabi. We are welcoming Mo Bunnell to the show. He leads the Bunnell Idea Group, whose trademarked Grow Big integrated system helps companies grow their business faster and in the right way. And he also helps professionals get focused and efficient in business development. Now, I know a lot of us are not running big companies, but I love that Mo's advice really does relate to everyday people as we work in our careers, as we start our side hustles, as we run small teams. He has a new book out later in September called The Snowball System, How to Win More Business and Turn Clients into Raving Fans. Our discussion turns to many facets, including his give-to-get technique. We also talk about some shorthand for calculating what your time is worth, as well as Moe's So Money Accomplishment, which was finally purchasing a horse farm near the heart of Atlanta. It was on his family's bucket list for years. Two websites I'd like to share with you before we get started to learn more about the Snowball System, head over to SnowballSystem.com as well as CreateDemandCourse.com. Here we go. Here's Mo Bunnell. Mo Bunnell, welcome to So Money. It's great to connect with you. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks, partnership. I'm really excited about it.
0: Uh, it's an exciting time for you. You have a book launch coming out September 11th, The Snowball System. And this is a book that's going to give us all powerful and proven tools for business development. Now, our So Money Nation listeners, we're not all necessarily running Fortune 500 companies. But what I like about your book is that it really applies to any size business and some of us who have side hustles, you know, how we can best leverage um, what we've got going on to, to grow. Because we all are interested in growth. And your system is really what's great too is it's science-based. So talk a little yeah. bit about how you arrived at the snowball system. Why is it called the snowball system?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, if you think about relationships and growing your influence, you know, whether you're on that side hustle and you're worried about that part of your life or you even already own your business, or whether you're somebody that's in a really big organization, you know, you can be in an internal department like finance or HR or IT or anything everybody's got a core craft. And what we can teach folks through the Snowball System is how do you then bolt onto that core craft, the ability to influence and help others? And to get to your exact uh, answer, the idea of Snowball System came because when you're always treating other people with helpfulness and with grace and with trying to find ways to help them, but also trying to figure out the craft of, of uh, strategically being helpful to others, then as you start to do that more and more and more and more, it's sort of like that snowball rolling downhill where it gets easier and easier to impact others at higher and more prestigious levels. How does that resonate? Does that make sense?
0: Oh, my gosh, completely. I mean, I've heard before, too, that there is a practice philosophy of just give, 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 because... Yeah that is always gonna be a win-win situation. Um, and uh I think that the sometimes we fall into the trap of of wanting to receive, <laughs> you know, because we need to pay the bills. We wanna make that we wanna make that sale and we don't have the patience to just sort of give well like how much what's a good measure for like how much you should really give and like the kindness that you exude and the patience like before you feel like you're just being taken advantage of or it's not being reciprocated?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. So we've got a technique called give to get, and it, it just parlays right from what you were saying. And the idea of a give to get is try to think, what strategically do you want out of a relationship and sort of begin with that end in mind and then pull it back to say, what's the, what's the first half hour or one hour that I could do for somebody and be helpful to them that's in the direction of how I want to lead the relationship. So we're going to begin with the end in mind. You know, if if you were in a a business development role, it might be, I would like to win a million dollars at this client. And then you might think, what's the first hour I could do on my dime that would be helpful to them, but start us in that direction. You could do similar things internally at organization. Maybe you'd like to get promoted to vice president and the person in charge of that is struggling with a particular issue you could think, well, what what does the vice president role do? And what's that first one or two hours I could do out of just my own kindness of my own heart to start helping the person with that particular issue? And they start seeing me as somebody who solves those kinds of issues. So I'm more likely to get promoted to vice president. So the give to get model sort of gets to what's the first hour or two I might do with the individual I want to influence and be helpful to and sort of Slopping it, slop, lopping it off there and sort of stopping at an, hour, at an hour or two so that you can start in that direction. And then typically the path reveals itself from them from there. It's helpful to them and helpful to you.
0: This concept of feeling like a sellout is something that you address in your book. And you teach us how to sell ourselves without selling our souls.
1: (laughs) How do we do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's about being authentic. And so many people are really proud of what they do and they're excited about it, but they're afraid to talk about it to others. And we have to shift that mindset. And realize that we're actually being helpful to others when we're starting to solve their problems. So, we're, what we teach people is how do you remove the barrier of worried about talking about yourself and just focus on being helpful, and that you're actually rolling up your sleeves and starting to be helpful as opposed to talking about you being helpful. And it's in the action of serving that that helps that happen. Is that helpful?
0: Yes, absolutely. Like just having that mindset of service is is so key. Yeah. Um, you wanted to write this book. You wanted to have it come out in 2018. What is it about today's current business climate where this book is absolutely needed? Why now?
1: I think, I think the world is sort of flooded with these kind of make you want to take a shower, manipulative sales techniques kind of methods. And they're just not authentic. And a lot of people might, maybe they feel like, wow, again, I need to expand my influence. so I'll read this book, and, and they sort of read the book and realize this just isn't me, and then they quit. I think the what I'm hearing is the world is really excited about an approach that's authentic and genuine. You know, we keep saying the word helpful, but I, but I think it's relevant here. And the in the world needs a whole system that they can say, okay. I've I've worked really hard. I've become really great at something. Now, how do I learn how to be really great at helping others Others see that I can be helpful to them? Back to that, sell, how to sell yourself without selling your soul line that, that you talked about. And boy, are we hearing just an amazing resonance in the community out there that, that people want a model like that, that they can feel good about doing development work in a way that helps them and helps others.
0: What you're preaching is, I'll say it, harder than maybe putting out some sort of mass marketing, whatever you want to call it, like just being inauthentic. It's easier to be inauthentic than it is to be authentic in some ways because what you're suggesting, and I do this too, I try to do this, is to really give people that one-on-one attention, which is hard when you're trying to scale. But like I'm telling listeners, you can go to... Instagram and you can direct message me there. And I will get back to you. I'm sending people personal videos <laughs> of my answers to their money questions because, yeah, well, it's easy for me because I'm on the go all the time. But I feel like It's a little bit of effort on my end, and I think hopefully it's being welcomed exponentially more than, you know, maybe like a canned response to one of their questions. And I'll tell you, it's it's more time for me, but I get so much gratitude out of it because I feel like I'm also developing more of a connection to my tribe. It's not just about them. It's about me, too. That's
1: exactly right. And and what I love about what you said is you're being very strategic about your time and you've done a great job of building your brand. And I, I think of it sort of like a, a capital T shaped graph. You're scaling because you've got this awesome podcast. You've got this whole community that loves you to death, you know, and i when I was just talking about coming on the show, I had so many people go, oh, my gosh, you know, I listen to that podcast. I follow her. So the 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 top of the T is scale where you can, you know, you're in a position where you're influencing hundreds of thousands of people. But the 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 vertical part of the T is where you're picking the few people that you think you can be helpful to and they can have a big return to you as well. And you're going particularly deep with those folks. And the, the book teaches both aspects of the T part of its scale. You know, you've got to find methods to get, get your message out and get in and position your brand uniquely. But you also probably have relatively few folks that can have this disproportionate amount of impact on you. And those, this is what the book teaches. How do you, how do you prioritize those people? How do you get introduced to them? How do you find a way to be helpful? And how do you continue that relationship in a way that deepens both sides?
0: Speaking of relationships, I was reading up about you and your family and you have a, a farm in Atlanta, which is so yeah. money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, we found, uh, gosh, this is a whole, we could do a whole podcast. We're transitioning this, now.
0: Can you tell? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> we are.
1: We are. We found this dream. We actually called it the dream property for 10 years. And it's 11 acres in the heart of Atlanta, I'm I'm five minutes from work in in Midtown. And I can let my wife do a therapeutic writing. uh, She's a therapeutic writing instructor and she can help little kids with disabilities in our backyard in a way that I can, if I work from home, I can look out my office window and see her help kids walk that couldn't walk before. So I think money is one of those things that it provides you freedom or it shackles you. And I'd much rather be the one that it provides freedom to. An ability to have a lifestyle like this is just so important for me and my family.
0: So it was very conscientious. It wasn't. This was not a splurge or an um, an impulse purchase. Rather, <laughs> the Farm land. No. This was something you guys have really been focused on for a while.
1: The prior owners lived here 38 years, and it took me about two years for the prior owner to even meet with me to talk about it because it, the home wasn't on the market. And they're just absolutely wonderful people that I look up to to this day. And even after getting the first meeting, it took us another year to sort of design a sales process that would make sense for them and make sense for us. So this was three years of very intentional effort and um, to, you know, to make this kind of thing happen.
0: So if you had to summarize your financial philosophy and how you spend in a way that aligns with your values, what would you say is that, that declaration, that, that philosophy, that motto?
1: I think money provides you freedom, and it's not necessarily anything helpful in and of itself, except that it helps you do three big things. It helps you strategically work on the meaningful work you want to work on. It helps you do the day-to-day things that you really like to do and and outsource the other things, sort of the details, if you will. Um, And it helps you help the people that you want to help, whether it's through a direct financial gift or the fact that because you're not worried about money... You have the time to help other people. And I think that strategic and sort of planful and humanistic components, those three things, I think that's if you you have more than you need financially, that's what helps you do those things. And I think that's so, so important in today's world.
0: How did you arrive at these uh, principles around money? Is it something that you feel like it's been ingrained in you since childhood, or you arrived at it more in your adult life. Um, Our uh, sponsor is Chase Slate, and they did this great survey recently and found that a majority of families have had a money conversation with their children. And so when Mm -hmm. you were a kid, do you remember a money memory? I do. uh, Many of them. (laughs) My, um, my, My favorite is I grew up
1: in a small town in Indiana, and when I say small... I mean, like eighty or hundred people. We just had a—we only had a two-way stop sign, not a four-way stop sign. <laughs> that tells you how small it was. <laughs> and there were two businesses down. One was a grain elevator where the farmers would take and sell their grain at harvest time, and the other was this little tiny restaurant. And my family owned it. And from fifth grade until even the summers when I was in college, I worked in that restaurant. And I saw my parents just work so hard. And the restaurant itself wasn't super successful in a financial sense by any means. I could go on and on about that. But I saw my dad in particular do what he loved. And for him, being behind that bar and being an entertainer and being the hub of that community wasn't work for him. It was fun. And he was always helping people have a great time. He was always the center of the stage. It was a show in that bar. And people came in and they stayed longer if he was there. He could measure that. And I I I can remember not only just, you know, working hard on my own, washing dishes or waiting tables and making two dollars an hour. And I had a sense of financial freedom because I had more money than I need, even at that age, because I was working so many hours in the back of the restaurant. But I also saw my dad do what he wanted and love it. And I thought that was really, really cool.
0: visit simplysafe.com slash so money you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you that's simplysafe.com slash so money That does um, echo a lot of the studies that have been done around parents and work and the impact on children. Mm -hmm. So I know there's a lot of guilt that we associate with leaving home to work and time, spending time away from children. But I mean, in this case, you had a front row seat to your dad's career. Uh, But for kids who don't have that. Access um, studies show it's really important for parents to emphasize the positives of their careers and their jobs, even if you had a really bad day. Like it is very, um, it leaves a huge impact on your kids as far as what they grow up to feel like work should mean, um, what the possibilities of work are, and so um, your dad, in many ways, was really setting you up for success.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly right. In a way, my my dad was sort of the the business developer, if you will, because he was the heart of all these conversations and things. And then what I learned from my mom is she was sort of the expert. So if we sort of teach experts how to sell, if you will, if you if you think of the good version of the word sell, um, my dad was the salesperson. He was the business developer. He was the person someone trusts with their problems. And then my mom was the expert. She taught school in the same school for about 40 years and just kept getting better and better and better at it. And it was really neat to see that dichotomy. And that's what I think I came away with. You know, how can I become an expert in a way that deeply helps people?
0: What would you say was your greatest money lesson learned? A hard lesson.
1: Oh, boy, it's a tough one. Um, my Soon after I started our business and we had started Bunnel Idea Group and we had at this point maybe trained like a thousand people or something like that. We we're just getting started over a decade ago. Um, I sort of went back to my roots and remembered a mantra that people in Indiana and rural Indiana would say, which is you don't want a mortgage. And I paid off a huge amount of our mortgage. And, and uh, unfortunately that was in September of 2008. (laughs) You can imagine how this one ends, you know, literally like three weeks later, um, you know, the financial crisis happened um all the Ecuador in our home got locked up. And I I had I didn't have any reason I had to do that. I just did because that's in air quotes what you did. You know, these are the things I learned as a child in, in rural um, America. And I calcul I did a spreadsheet that weekend. I calculated I had about three months of cash left. Oh no. And boy did i re- i will remember that lesson for a very long time <laughs> i had to i had to double down and hustle and i mean hustle in a great way you know figure out how to grow the business very quickly in a horrible environment and we made it out fine but let me tell you those couple months after that were very very difficult and stressful
0: but looking back would you also say that trying to grow or build a business during a recession is an advantageous time because the barriers to entry are low. There, first of all, everyone's running into the forest. Yeah. Um, the cost to rent supplies or buy some, you know, equipment for your business is at a discount. You can yeah. negotiate everything. Um, and so, in retrospect, you did, did those benefits surface for you?
1: They did, and in a way, another one which was just or even more important. The fact that we were positioned as a trainer to help people grow their business, that alone <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. pulled us through. And and I had so many um, of our big clients that said, you know, listen, we cut our training budget by half, but we're giving you all of it, you know, things like that. So um, we actually got quite, you know, we got through that scary time, <laughs> but um, we actually had tremendous growth over those next couple of years because while training budgets went really down at our big corporate clients the good news was they were putting all of it you know with us so we could help them grow during during a tough time
0: i'm glad that worked out for you <laughs> and you know <laughs> was- so inspiring because that we, we we talk about the financial crisis as if it were this, you know, this while ago, but it was, it was just less than 10 years ago. So, or maybe 11, you know, depending on when you, when, for you, when the crash started, for me, it was 2009 when I got laid off. That's when it really hit home for you. It was 2008 when you paid off your mortgage.
1: (laughs) Um, Not very smart, by the way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But just to show what you can, you can completely reinvent and rebound exponentially in a decade. Um, Yeah you know, that's uh thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really inspiring. Yeah. Mo, what is a practice that you, what is a habit, excuse me, what is a habit that you practice, a financial habit that really helps you and your, your, your partner or you, and just you yourself as an entrepreneur stay on the right financial track?
1: You know, I uh, started my career as an actuary. Do you, you know what that is?
0: Yes. You are someone who is tasked with the, very hard, difficult job of like predicting risk, right?
1: Yeah. 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 So I haven't practiced an actuary since like 1998 or something. So it's been almost 20 years. But I started my career there and I took all those exams. It takes like eight years to get through all those. And the thing that being an actuary teaches you is how to think long term all the time. Like you're always playing the long game because you're taught how to forecast things, not in a few years, but, but – 80 years, 100 years, you know, if you think about all this, all the work actuaries do with pension plans or things like that, life insurance. And I'd gone through all that training. And I swear, I think that actuarial mind taught me to teach people great through relationships because you're always playing the long game. And that's what's flown through, through the book, Snowball System. And I think the habit I've got around that, that with that context is I've got one spreadsheet that has all my financial stuff in it everything it has tabs for insurance it has tabs for net worth it has tabs for budgeting and things like that and i'm i look i have very specific rituals on a quarterly and annual basis where i go and look at that and i revisit net worth and cash flow and things like that and the one metric i'm always worried about is and i've done this since the mid-90s is what is my effective hourly rate and how i calculate that is i i look at say on an annual basis look at how many dollars did i make and i divide it by how many hours did i work and i could do that back when i was a full-time employee at a consulting firm i can do it today as an entrepreneur with a you know a company that has 350 clients and through that tracking of that it always keeps it front of mind am i doing things today that are going to help me earn more money a year from today And thus give me more freedom in those three ways we talked about. And I think that discipline of doing that over 20 or 25 years has always pushed me outside my comfort zone and always pushed me to invest in myself in ways that I think can help that metric and thus help others. How does that resonate with you?
0: Yeah. So I have heard there's a a sort of a shorthand for figuring out your effective hourly rate. And it's – I think Tim Ferriss covers it in his four-hour work week. But it's like you take your annual salary or your annual income. You knock Mm -hmm. off the last three zeros and then you divide what's left by two. And that's your hourly rate. So if you make yeah. $50,000 a year, that's $50 divided by two, $25 an hour. And that's a good kind of way to measure okay, is it better for me to perform a task because I'm paying, like, I'm. this is what it would cost me to use my time, or better to yeah. outsource it? And if it's cheaper to outsource, if it's $18 to pay someone to clean your house per hour, then that's what you yeah. should do. I like that. You I like that it. rule of thumb. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you nailed See, it. I'm paying attention.
1: That's it. And I'll tell you, I think when when I've helped others do that, boy, does that help them make those simple decisions, just like you're saying, because now you've got a metric. What should I lop off and what should I continue to do?
0: All right, Mo, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and then you just finish it. First thing that comes to mind. I'm ready. All right, cool. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is...
1: That's funny. I would keep doing what I'm doing now. I love impacting these 12,000 people we've trained on. I want to keep it.
0: I love it. you stay on the horse farm and everything.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't change a thing.
0: <laughs> cool. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: Oh, you know what? I outsource everything I can around the maintenance of the property and the cleaning of the house and things like that. I hate that stuff. And I don't want to do it. It makes me frustrated when I do it, so (laughs) I outsource it all.
0: Yes. I also like the idea of having a farm, but not actually running a farm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Or managing a farm. Yeah. We do some of the stuff we like, like the feeding and all that. I mean, my wife does a lot of this too, but but I don't like cutting the lawn, let's just say. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, Totally get that. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... Uh, my fraternity.
1: I was in college. It, it was a huge instrumental part of my career. And um, I try to give back to them.
0: Fantastic. Which fraternity? I went to Penn State. So like biggest Greek system in the country. Oh, man, I
1: was a Delta, ta, Delta, Delta.
0: I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I just wanted to say that I went to Penn State, and we have a ton of fraternities and sororities. I was never a part of the Greek system. Surprisingly, I think because when you go to Penn State, there's two things you're expected to love: the Greek system and football. I had did not participate in any of those two activities, or even like in the stands, but uh, still had a great time though. Okay, I yeah, all went well. Okay for you. I, I think would you're do good. it again. Yeah. I would go back to Penn State. <laughs> And I'm a big donor now, and I'm on the board there, and I am just i am really a proud Penn Stater. Um, all right. And last but not least, I'm Mo Bunnell. I'm so money because? Uh,
1: because I focus on money. Yeah, I focus on that effective hour, hourly rate, always thinking of ways I can improve it, and then how do I give back to the people who help me?
0: Living a life of service. Thank you so much, Mo. Congratulations on the snowball system and hope you have a great rest of your year. Hey, thanks, Farnush. I love being a part of the program. Thank you. Thanks so much to Mo for joining us. His website is MoBunnel.com, B-U-N-N-E-L-L. You can pre-order his book, The Snowball System, on Amazon. And if you'd like to read more about his work, go to SnowballSystem.com. You can also check out CreateDemandCourse.com. If you missed any of this, don't worry. You can grab it all at SoMoneyPodcast.com where we upgraded the site a bit. Go around, check it out. Let me know what you think. We made it a little prettier, a little hopefully easier to navigate. And there you can, as always, grab the transcript, the audio, and leave me a message for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. If you have a money question, career question, motherhood question, these days I am not shy to any questions. Leave it for me there either by typing it in or you can leave a voicemail. Just click on that Ask Farnoosh button. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money.